Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. Well, hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Ballots and Brews. We are so excited to have you with us tonight. As always, we've got another uh, great show ahead tonight. The legislature is back in town, so there is a shortage of content to talk about. Uh, but before we get to any of that, we want to start, as we always do, with some drinks. Um, and tonight, we are extremely excited uh, because we have some of the owners of a brand new wine and cocktail lounge opening up in Westboro, known as Saloon, um, that is going to be coming to our town. So joining us tonight are get some of those owners. So we've got uh, Kenya and Mark Sonderrager with us, along with Larissa Slimmer. Uh, So thanks everybody for hanging out with us tonight. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Absolutely. Well, this we've got a full house, so we've got everyone on board tonight. So we're so excited. So, yo, Kenya, as we get started off tonight, can you tell us just a little bit about kind of where uh, this idea came from? Absolutely. Um, well, the easiest way to say where it came from was um, a need <laughs> that wasn't being met. Um, you know, we have a lot of friends in the neighborhood um, and just friends in general that, um, you know, are our kind of age group and um, the, you know, the people we like to hang out with. There's not a lot of places in Topeka that you can go to have really good conversation, a good drink, cocktail um, that's quiet, that is really kind of conducive for conversation. Sure. Isn't loud. Um, and we love the idea of um, a neighborhood, um, you know, place that we could go. And so when um, the the market or the Westboro Mart um, opened up where Josie's used to be, and that really presented an opportunity for us. And we kind of sparked our um, interest and kind of the idea started flowing from there. Awesome. That's so cool. Well, and Larissa, the, the, talk to me about that, the name Salou. Where did that name come from? Oh, gosh. So um, obviously, when you're starting a new business or, you know, an a new venture like this, you brand yourself. And yeah. the name was very important to us um, that we kind of convey a little bit about the atmosphere and um, things we would serve. <laughs> and we did so much brainstorming and boy, there were all kinds of names that <laughs> went out there. But um, we settled on Salut because it basically means cheers in French. And awesome. yeah, so hopefully uh, we will have a lot of that going on um, <laughs> in our establishment. And, uh, you know, we just kind of like that French vibe, that Parisian feel, um, good French wine. And so that's kind of where it where it was birthed, so to speak. Absolutely. That's way cool and super, super unique, too. I like that. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. And we should know, too, for folks listening. So we've got, uh, in addition to co-owners of a cocktail bar, we have three educators uh, on with us today. <laughs> so we've got, of course, uh, Katie and Mark are both principals. Um, and Larissa is a counselor uh, as well. And so as we talked before, and I said, if there ever were a group of folks who I think deserve having a bar of their own, it would be educators <laughs> after the last <laughs> couple years. 
Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, uh, uh, Mark, can you talk to us a little about, you know, when folks um, come to Salud, you know, what, what would offer, what should, what should people expect? Absolutely. So it will um, be a fairly small place. So it won't be a, a place that's super, super crowded and it will still kind of have that uh, living room feel to it. We like to say rather than a, a restaurant, it seems more like a living room. So there will be um, tables for the cocktails. We will have uh, good wines. We'll have some local beers on tap. Um, and then we'll also have some small uh, food plates available, okay. uh, kind of specializing in uh, tartines, which is a French kind of open faced sandwich with a variety of toppings. So we might have a tartine with some uh, smoked salmon capers and uh, or maybe a, a tartine with some goat cheese, caramelized onions and roasted tomatoes or, you know, something like that. So um, this idea of the tartine or just some other small bites also to kind of go along that would pair well with the drinks. So that's, that's oh, what that's awesome. can expect when they come. Oh, that's so cool. Well, and I love the, the French themed. I think that's something that that's really unique when you think about the kind of Topeka restaurant uh, and bar kind of market. Yeah, I won't say it's authentic French food, but sure. uh, French our, inspired. our twist on that. French inspired, yes. <laughs> there we go. You guys learned you can put inspired by after lots of things and it totally, it totally covers it. <laughs> well, and Katie, of course, we could just going in Westboro. Um, you want to be a little bit more specific about folks know kind of where that will be located? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So um, it will be, I know everybody probably knows where Josie's was. Yeah. Um, and we were all very sad when they went out of business. Um, and um, it was a very popular place, great location. And so we're going to kind of, you know, piggyback on the great things that they started and, and you know, do a little twist on the bakery and um, bring something different to that space. So, um, so yeah, so it's where Josie's was in the Westboro Mart on Huntoon. Um, one of the neat things that we're going to do is we're going to expand um, not only the two sides where Josie's was, but we're going to expand into one of the basements. Oh, awesome. um, and one of our most exciting parts of this project is that we are going to create a basement speakeasy. Oh, I was um, going to ask. That's awesome. Yes. Where, um, um, the the um, the customers will have to enter from the back, sure. and there is lots of parking in the back, so we'll have kind of a private back door for the speakeasy. And um, I, don't, I, I think this is a well known fact by now, but we're going to name it the the principal's office. Um, <laughs> thinking awesome. that that would you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know ways you could take that, and so um, it, we're going to have. Uh, its own um, drink menu. You might you might find a drink called the detention or you know something <laughs> else. So we just thought that would be fun um, with you know who we are yeah. and um, knowing that we have lots of educator friends, but just just something fun. Um, you know something different. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. I can see that going all kinds of ways. That's all kinds, all kinds of fun. Oh, that's so cool. Well, Hopefully you'll enjoy getting sent to the principal's office. I was going to say, <laughs> that's the adult version of going to the principal's office. It's so much that's cooler right. than it was in yes. school. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, and, and Larissa, the cool thing about this project, I think, too, is that the public has a chance to, uh, to really help, uh, help it kind of get off the ground. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes. Uh, so this was actually Katie's cool idea and <laughs> the rest of us just sort of jumped on board. But we did we wanted to do a little crowdfunding to sure. create some excitement, I guess, in the community. So we have a Kickstarter um, awesome. campaign going. Yes. And today is actually Matching Monday. So we have a generous donator from the Westboro neighborhood that has agreed to match any pledges that happen today. So um, whatever we whatever we have pledged today, that will be doubled. So that's pretty fun. Awesome. Um, and there are different reward levels for uh, a different, you know, pledge. So let's say um, you would love a T-shirt and you want to get kind of in on the on the ground floor of, of Salut. Well, if you pledge, um, you know, $100, you get what we call the Taste of Salut, which will be a... Uh, a uh, free tartine when okay. on your first visit and a salute t-shirt um and our reward levels go all the way up to you can actually work with uh, mark our mixologist <laughs> and uh create a a, a craft cocktail and you get to name it oh nice yeah oh that's so cool well very cool well we're gonna be sure uh, for those folks out for those things of course make sure to check out our social media we'll be sure to have uh that link on there so you can contribute and get in on that that is way cool yes we would love that we have i think uh the sondragers can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe um pain runs until may 6th awesome. so a few yep. days may left 6th. may 6th and um as of today we are um almost to 40 percent of our goal awesome and so um yeah hoping that we have um some you know community members that have just been waiting and um, are ready to jump on board and um you know we'll have some great things for our our backers or as we're calling them our founding friends oh i love that founding friends that's awesome well and, and mark as the hearing that you're the master mythologist um that's that's pretty awesome so any age drinks that you're particularly excited about do you know i think um we're going to focus on just um nothing really far out there but sure. just kind of the good classics where you can come and 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 get a boulevardier or a get a uh, you know a Southside cocktail or a good old fashioned or just something to where it's just a, a a classic kind of drink that you can have made for you and sit and enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, as you think about um, you know for the the future and the the way ahead, you know, touch us a little bit. But uh, Katie, I'll, I'll leave with you. What are some of your 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 big hopes and dreams for for the location for the future? Yeah, well, I I really hope that um, we can um, become just kind of a staple for the Topeka community. And, um, we're really excited about partnering with some of the local small businesses. Um, you know, there's some already some great businesses in Westboro Mart that we've already, you know, made contact with, and we kind of have some deals in the works, um, you know, Porterfields and, and patio pool. And, um, you know, those tie right into a lot of what we want to do. Um, we're going to have a patio out front. We're expanding the patio. And so, on nice days like today, you know, you can come out and get a, um, a nice sparkling wine cocktail. Um, or if it's, you know, a Friday evening, you can come down to the principal's office. <laughs> We're just hoping to, to offer lots of different options. Now, 
in the future, um, what we're what we're excited to be able to expand into some of the parts that we're not going to use right away. And um, we're hoping to maybe at some point have a tasting room in the basement or a supper okay. club um, where we can offer a nicer, you know, um, dinner, um, a, a, you know, a four course or whatever dinner um, and rather than just the small plates sure. and have special events or private spaces that people can rent out. Um, that's a little bit down the line, but you know, those are some things that we're excited about. Um, just kind of seeing where this takes us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It seems like kind of, the sky's the limit. There's kind of all kinds of cool possibilities out there. Oh, well, anything else as we get ready to wrap up anything else that we'd like anyone to know? I don't know. We're just excited to get going. And we've already done quite a bit of work in this space. And um, my husband, who isn't able to join us right now, sure. um, he he is our, our facilities guy. Okay. Um, he's a contractor and journeyman plumber. So uh-huh. um, there's already been some demo happening <laughs> and, and some some renovation so um we're 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 ready to go absolutely yeah. i would say anybody that um had been to visit josie's um will not recognize the place when we're finished with it and so that's we're really wanting to overhaul uh, although josie's was great you know the, the the vibe we're going for is a lot different so we are going to have a beautiful new bar and a commercial kitchen and really um create a completely different space so that does take time sure. um, but we're moving as quickly as we can so we can hopefully open um this summer so we can um, take advantage of some of the beautiful days and um, get some patio seating before fall absolutely well we should let folks know of course here that there is a facebook page as well um so you can follow the salute facebook page and get up see updates on uh the progress there um as well as finding information for the kickstarter in addition to on our page as well uh but katie larissa mark thank you so much for for hanging out with us tonight yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, for those out there listening, make sure to check out that Kickstarter for that Match Monday and help them get across the finish line uh, for that goal. Um, so we're so excited for, for that. Uh, go ahead and stay tuned. After the break, we'll be back, as always, with our Beer Flight of the Night, where we'll be recapping all the craziness of the last week in local government. Stay tuned. You're listening to Balance of Brews here on KSET 785 Live Radio. Seven Eight Five Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now, and we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at seven eight five live dot com. And thanks for tuning in. All right, folks, we are back with our beer flight of the night, where we always cover the latest, greatest happenings in state and local government. So let's get to it. Our first beer tonight is the Bring Back the Boulevard Pale Ale. Uh, you may have heard us a few months ago uh, talking about something called the bring it back to the Boulevard project. Uh, we love this project um, because really it highlights what can happen when citizens come together to take action, number one. Um, and number two, it lets us talk about the community improvement plan and community improvement budget, which of course we love doing. And if you've been playing our local government drinking game, you'd probably have to take a shot every time you heard us mention the plan, which is probably why we don't have a local government drinking game, though we should. Uh, anyway, so the Bring Back the Boulevard uh, organization that's created 
back in 2019 by a couple of folks who really looked at the southernmost section of Topeka Boulevard. We're talking a section that's passed like the 21st in Topeka Boulevard area and south of there and said essentially that these roads suck and we need to do something about it. Uh, what started as a group of three people now has about 50 people um, who regularly volunteer and contribute um, in lots of different ways. And there's a really great in-depth article in the Topeka Capital Journal about this. Um, now, there's a lot of sentimentality attached to this particular stretch of road. Um, those of a certain age in our community will remember cruising the boulevard, and there is some really great archival footage out there from, I believe, like the 80s, um, complete with some awesome mullets, by the way, um, showing just how active nights on the boulevard used to be. Uh, fast forward a couple of decades and some improved hairstyles later, and that uh, that stretch of Topeka Boulevard has uh, definitely seen its better days. Um, in fact, we all remember that term, the Pavement Condition Index, PCI, that we all learned during the mayoral debate, right? There's a lot of talk about that term. Uh, that term, PCI, measures the condition of a road. Um, so the PCI measures road quality on a 100-point scale. And as the Capital Journal reports, back in 2016, our roads in Topeka in general had an average PCI rating of 55 out of 100, um, or a three swear words out of five when you drove over them in other terms. Um, now, we've done some work since then, and our rating has actually increased to a 64 overall. Um, but Topeka Boulevard still continues to languish, um, coming in at a rating of 53, uh, which, by the way, is considered average to poor under that scale. So Bring Back the Boulevard's whole goal has been how do we work on turning things around, um, especially in light of the fact that there's a lot of potential in that area. As organizers have pointed out, they've made a lot of progress in demolishing old and unsightly buildings in that area, doing lots of cleanups that Bring Back the Boulevard's been uh, responsible for. So they point out with an improved road, not only could residents and businesses in that area grow, but this growth could spread to other parts of the city since Topeka Boulevard is such a major artery in the community. So in the midst of all this work, enter the city's capital improvement plan. Uh, fun fact that I actually didn't know, as the Capital Journal reports, upkeep for South Topeka Boulevard for a while actually rested with the Kansas Department of Transportation and the federal government. Uh, two bodies, of course, known for being flush with cash. Uh, now the city has primary, uh, primary responsibility for the road, they're allocating some pretty big time dollars in their capital improvement plan budget to do it. Uh, you'll remember that the city council had a big workshop not too long ago to plan out uh, CIP projects and and they're still talking about them actually to this day at each of their meetings. Um, at the workshop, the issues that bring back the Boulevard raised were discussed by council members who had taken notice. Now remember, the CIP looks at a 10-year window. So some of these improvements are pretty far out, but here's what we're looking at so far. Um, in that 2023 to 2032 time period, the city is proposing essentially three phases of work. Uh, one that would improve Topeka Boulevard from 15th to 21st, another phase from 21st to 29th, and another phase from 29th to 38th Street. Now, it stretch from 21st to 29th, that's the money street right there. That's what's probably going to cost the most. Uh, that's about $6.1 million just for that stretch from 21st to 29th Street. Uh, now, just to put that into context, you know, we mentioned earlier that city on average had that pavement condition index of 55 back in 2016. In order to raise that score to a 70, which would be considered good on that scale, uh, that's where you don't have to worry about losing a muffler or any of that. Um, in order to raise our score, the city would have to spend about $38.3 million uh, to bring our roads up to that level. Six million of that will be spent just right in that block of Topeka Boulevard from 21st to 29th Street. So we're talking a lot of money here um, in one area. So. 
all in all, a pretty cool story of some much-needed investment coming to a critical part of our community, all thanks to some citizens who stepped up to improve their neighborhood. So pretty cool. Uh, next up, we have the Intercity IPA. Uh, this refers to the recent intercity visit that city leaders took down to Northwest Arkansas last week. Uh, there's a couple things to unpack in that sentence, by the way. First, what is an inner city visit? Uh, these have happened in our community for quite some time now. Uh, back in the day, the Chamber of Commerce and now the Greater Topeka Partnership uh, each year identify a community that is similar in some respects to Topeka and Shawnee County, um, but usually excelling in an area that we are looking to grow in. So kind of an aspirational community, if you will. Uh, for instance, way back in 2013, yours truly got to attend an inner city visit to Greenville, South Carolina, uh, where we learned how that community had turned its downtown around as we were beginning that process here in Topeka. Uh, usually these trips include leaders from city and county government in addition to local business leaders and other community leaders. Uh, on the trip you usually get to visit different places, network, learn, and in my case eat some excellent southern fried chicken. Uh, this year's trip was unique in that the theme was regionalism. Uh, specifically, uh, community leaders traveled to the northwest Arkansas area to learn how their communities are working together to improve the economic health of the entire region of northwest Arkansas. The other part about the trip that was unique, hold on to your hats, folks. It was a joint intercity visit that included both folks from Topeka and Lawrence and Douglas County's chamber. I know, I know. What's next? Dogs sleeping with cats. It's crazy. Totally mind-blowing. But again, the whole purpose of the trip was learning how neighboring cities work together to improve their areas. So it makes sense we would take our neighboring city with us. Uh, on their trip, city leaders got to learn about how communities in Northwest Arkansas have worked together, for instance, to attract major businesses to headquarter there. Uh, it should be pointed out that it does help um, in that effort if you have this little company called Walmart. Uh, Walmart being one of those, I think, really cool startup companies you hear about. Um, I don't know. I think there's big things coming there. Uh, but of course, Walmart is headquartered um, in that region, so that helps to attract some other companies down there. Um, those communities in that part of the state have also worked together to turn their region into kind of a tourism destination. They have a, a trail system that links together, and they work in some different cultural offerings to have, have things that balance and complement each other in the community, and they help promote each other's communities as well. Um, all in all, those cities in, in Northwest Arkansas really work together towards some shared regional goals, uh, which, of course, benefit their own communities as well. So I, we say all this to say if you hear some talk about regionalism and joint opportunities in the next few months amongst city government, that might be why. Uh, there are certainly lots of opportunities between Douglas and Shawnee counties, and so it definitely makes sense for us to talk to each other more. And we might just learn that we're both actually not that bad of a place to get to know. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, next up, staying in the local government thread, we have the Mill Levy Porter. Uh, when we last left our story of discussing mill levies, we talked about a resolution that was before the city council that would encourage the city council, that's it, encourage, not require, them to consider lowering the mill levy in the next city budget. Uh, since then, there has been quite a discussion at the last city council meeting. Uh, anytime a city council member goes, quote, I don't know what the hell I'm voting on, end quote, uh, you know it's a good time. Uh, so what happened here? Uh, the debate over this resolution got kind of complicated kind of fast. Um, at one point, there was a motion to actually change some language in the resolution from saying lowering its mill levy, so referring to the city's mill levy, changing that language to say reduce the budget that is funded by property tax. 
Uh, this effort was done in part to make the resolution apply more broadly than just talking about the mill levy. It would instead ask the city council to consider all the ways in which they may reduce the burden on taxpayers, including lowering the mill levy. So it attempt to really kind of expand the focus there. Uh, as the Cap Journal reports, this generated a lot of discussion at the council meeting. Um, Councilman Spencer Duncan, the deputy mayor, he is the author of this resolution. He really stuck to his guns and he wanted to keep the orig original wording in there about the mill levy. Uh, some, like Councilman Neil Dobler, who is the one who made that motion to change the language, uh, wanted it to be more expansive and, importantly, in his words, uh, consider providing actual tax relief, uh, in which he didn't think that the resolution would do as it was currently written. Um, that amendment failed. There was then a vote on rather to table the discussion on this uh, resolution to another meeting which also failed. Uh, so that meant they were back on the original resolution, uh, which did pass by a vote of eight to one with Councilwoman Sylvia Ortiz being the lone dissenter. I mention all of that not because I think you all are just sitting on pins and needles to follow the ins and outs of city council parliamentary procedure, uh, but to show you just how seriously the city council is taking their discussion on what to do about property taxes and spending in the next city budget. Uh, a side note, this discussion also reflects how confusing a topic the mill levy can be, even for elected officials whose very job it is to understand and work on these issues. Um, during the public comment on this measure, actually one of our state representatives, Vic Miller, um, showed up. Of course, our state representatives are city residents too, so they have their right to come to a city council meeting to talk. Um, and so he kind of took some city council members to task for, in his view, misleading citizens about um, what the city council has done regarding the mill levy. Um, as Representative Vic Miller points out, it is possible to keep the mill levy the same, but also still raise taxes, which is true. Uh, this happens when the city budgets more, spends more than it budgets. Um, it has to make up that difference somehow, um, and so often it's done through raising property taxes. Um, so you can have a mill levy that doesn't change. You can even have a mill levy that goes down, um, but you could still uh, end up raising more in property taxes. That's especially true when you look at property valuations. As property valuations have increased in this last year, you can have a mill levy that even goes down, but if you've got increased property property valuations that that's being measured against, um, you could still end up effectively raising taxes on individuals. Uh, this whole discussion gets really mathy, by the way, um, but there is a really great article in the Capitol Journal that really breaks this all down, which we'll post on our social media. and we encourage you all to, to check out. Um, and again, we should remind folks, this resolution does not commit the city council to lowering the mill levy. It just says that they're going to strongly consider it. So just something to keep in mind. Um, and last but certainly not least, we have the Legislative Roundup Stout. Uh, in the time since we've last talked, the legislature has been back and gone again as they almost all but finished their work for the year. So what have they accomplished? Uh, the use of air quotes around the word accomplished, by the way, is entirely at your discretion. Uh, well, the first thing was they had all these vetoes that the governor had done of different actions that they had worked on. And so uh, they took several votes to override some of the governor's vetoes. And despite the best efforts of conservatives, the governor's veto of bills that ban transgender athletes from participating in sports and create a parental bill of rights uh, still stands. Those vetoes are still valid um, on the transgender bill of rights uh, or excuse me, a transgender athletes bill. Uh, that one was a narrower vote, but four Republicans actually joined Democrats in the House to sustain the governor's veto on that bill, uh, which shows you just how thoughtful people are, how much people thought um, about their votes um, on that bill. No doubt people thinking about all kinds of things um, when it comes to their vote. 
uh, perhaps some things more noble than others. And we'll let you decide on what people might have been thinking about. Uh, now, of course, this isn't the last you've heard of these issues. In fact, I suspect that as we talk right now, there are campaign ads and postcards being crafted about these very issues for the next election. Uh, and we should point out the legislature was successful in overriding the governor's veto on a bill that mandated certain recipients of food stamp benefits have to complete a work training program. That was another uh, very uh, contentious issue that the legislature worked on this year. Uh, and get excited, sports gambling is coming to Kansas. Finally, at around 2 in the morning on the final day of their veto session, House members passed a bill and joining with their colleagues from the Senate to send to the governor a bill that would allow casinos to partner with online betting platforms to offer sports betting in Kansas. And they even kept in the provision of the bill that says that 80% of the revenue generated by the proceeds of these gambling efforts will go toward a fund designed to attract the Chiefs to move their stadium into Kansas. So there you have it. Every bet you place on DraftKings could put us that much closer to Patrick Mahomes officially being a Kansas resident. And we finally axed the food sales tax. Uh, kind of. We didn't really ax it as much as we sort of like nicked it on the side and then we're just going to keep hacking at it over the years. Um, essentially, they came up with a compromise bill uh, that, take, that takes into account suggestions by Republicans. And so it cuts the tax in January 1st of 2023, uh, cuts it down to about 4%. Right now it's at six and a half. I think it cuts it down to about 4% on January 1st of 2023. Um, and then it gradually lowers it over time, getting to 0% by 2025. Um, so not as fast as people would like, certainly not as fast as the governor would like, but the governor has indicated she will sign it because, of course, lowering the food sales tax was a priority of hers. Um, and just like the longest American Idol final ever, the legislative session still isn't quite done. Um, they will be back on May 23rd, mainly to address whatever court action is taken on the legislative redistricting maps. Uh, that being important, because if there are any changes to make, uh, candidates have only until June 1st to file for election. Uh, so it would help if they could have some kind of settled map to know, you know, what district they are going to represent, for instance. Uh, but while they're here, um, there are also some more issues that hanging around um, that legislatures might get to. Uh, one of the most significant, of course, being medical cannabis and what we do um, about that issue. It's just been talked about a lot this session and previous sessions, of course, too, uh, but still has not um, yet finally passed the legislature. Um, there are also, of course, a number of bills um, that the legislature has passed that the governor could still veto. She still hasn't signed or vetoed all the bills yet. Um, and so if she does veto anything, they could decide when they come back to try to override any of those vetoes as well. Uh, so as they say, it ain't over until it's over. Um, so here's just hoping that they're gone by the time German Fest starts in June. That's that's my hope. Uh, and that, folks, is your beer flight of the night. But stay tuned. After the break, we've got our interview with Lalo Munoz, president of the Topeka Public Schools Board of Education. You do not want to miss that very fun interview. So stay right there. You're listening to Ballots and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. folks well we are back and uh we're sticking with kind of the education theme that we have going on today and so we're really excited to have uh back on our show a good friend of ours lalo munoz a member of the topeka public schools board of education lalo thanks for hanging out with us tonight yeah thanks for having me yeah absolutely this is a, a busy time of year and you know lots a lot's happened uh since uh, the last time we talked uh the, getting ready to close out the the school year you know, you've got a couple kills are they are they ready for school to be over uh, they're they're ready. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 been a, a 
quick uh, school year, it feels like, for me, and uh, I'm sure for them, but uh, they're looking forward to summer. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, when you think back to, you know, this kind of last year and everything that's gone on, you know, what do you think you're most proud of or most excited about uh, from Topeka Public Schools this last year? You know, there, there's so much to be uh, proud of and, and excited about. Uh, I think personally for myself in my role uh, as, a, as a school board member, I'm most proud of um, how we've navigated uh the school year um, with COVID and with with health and the safety and and with January's um, you know rise in in, in transmissions uh, that we saw the variant I think we we did it in a way where we kept health and the safety of of students of teachers and staff uh, foremost in our mind uh, and and I think we I, when I look at other districts I, I think I'm proud of that I'm proud of making sure that we made it and we made it together safely. Absolutely. I was going to say that, you know, that kind of leads into this, this next question. I have a, a sneaking suspicion of what this might be. But, you know, looking back at this last year, what do you think has been the, the hardest issue for you to deal with in this last school year? So I'm going on in the, uh, my third year. And I think as a board member, the toughest thing to do is to distinguish the, the micro from the macro. Mm. And what I mean by that is that there are issues that come up all of the time. And uh, and the issues which are, are important and, and which demand our our attention, um, and then at the same time competing with the those individual issues, we have individuals that are on the macro level. So where is our district heading? You know, where uh, how should we p- pivot coming out of COVID? You know, sure. what is the impact of uh, COVID that it's had on our students and, and their education, uh, which are sort of on, on the macro level? So I, I think balancing both uh, um, paying attention to the the individual issues that come up um, for for all school districts um, with with parent issues and and students and staff and at the same time making sure that you're also thinking um, at that macro level so um, I, I think that's probably um, the toughest thing for myself as a board member and now now as, as president here of USD 501 is trying to uh, balance all of that. Awesome. Well, hey, yeah, congratulations. I forgot you are the, the yeah. new uh, board president. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, in January, an opportunity uh, um, came up and um, and thankful to have the, the support of, of my colleagues. Uh, and so now now we're, you know, I'm pushing our, uh, my colleagues to think about, you know, COVID and think about how should we respond? How does it, how does COVID impact our strategic plan over the next five years? What sort of pivots do we need to uh, take into into consideration? Uh, one of the things that um, I'm excited about and are is to see the results of uh, school state testing that oh, yeah. just happened uh, not too far uh, long ago. And so in the next coming months, we'll ha- see the results of that testing. And then we'll begin to ha- ask some hard questions about uh, what does this testing um, mean for 501? And how should we pivot? How should we, um, what should we have in place to support students who, who might need that? And so so it's an exciting time right now. Um, we're, again, summer is, is, is a great time to sort of take a step back, but also begin to get ready for next year. Yep, absolutely. I was going to say, as soon as one year is over, it's time to prepare for the next one. <laughs> yeah, I think most people might, it might be easy to, to think that school work and, and the work that goes on in school districts finishes once school is over over but actually i think there's immediately after school is over it's it's begin it's in a process of beginning to prepare for that next school year uh, starting in in august so 
<laughs> Absolutely. That's right. I'll be here before we know it. Uh, well, of course, this last year, uh, too, was an active one um, in the state legislature when it comes to uh, all manner of education related topics. So I was going to chat with you about just a couple of those issues that came up sure. this year. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the first thing that we heard a, a lot about with this idea of this kind of parents' bill of rights, um, and this is something we've seen kind of around the country as well as parents, um, you know, asking for uh, access to uh, more access to curriculum and materials and those kinds of things. And we've seen um, in, in places where, you know, parents have, have called on things like for books to be removed from libraries or wanting, you know, certain curriculum materials restricted or that sort of thing. You know, when you look at this issue, what, what do you think is, is driving this kind of this kind of issue? And, and how do you all at the board level navigate this kind of thing? You know, um, th- that's a good question. I, I think it, obviously you mentioned earlier that I am a, a parent of kids who are in little, you know, small kids who are in our uh, school district here at 501. And, and you know, I, uh, I have years of, of serving as a volunteer um, in 501, you know, through PTO and as part of a dad's group uh, as an actual big brother to uh, another student who, and then obviously as a volunteer through the uh, Board of Education. So I, I do like to think that I am uh, uh, experts in, 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 in parents and, and <laughs> the hundreds and hundreds of parents who I've talked through over the number of years. And, and, and what I know through my experience and through conversations um, is that there are a lot of issues that parents are worried about you know parents are, are worried about making sure that their kids are healthy when they go to school uh, and that they, they stay healthy you know obviously referring to, to COVID and and its implications for for education you know parents talk to me about uh, making sure their kids are safe right and, and uh, we see in the news you know uh, safety issues that come up uh, all over the place and so is my kid safe and, and you know so addressing those uh, issues uh, and you know parents also worry about uh, the social and emotional aspects of their kids and are, are they progressing and are, are they uh, are needs being met and and are they learning right uh, the, are, are, are students are mice is my student learning you know and how can you help them in areas that they might need addressing those are the sort of things that I, I see uh, day in and day out and I, and I hear from parents day in and day out um, and what I don't see or hear about is, is asking for more sort of transparency and I, I don't hear individuals asking for more you, you know that they aren't receiving you know open uh, communication from from their teachers and so sure. you know this this issue I think um, it, you know I, I just as as someone who I think feels fairly confident that um, that uh, I have a good a feel and, and a pulse on what's going on in our district it's not something that I, that I see uh, or has been brought up to me um, and, and so one way you know you the other part of your question was how do we navigate this issue at the board level I, I think good school boards are, are is a board that is actively involved and is listening and has communication avenues available for parents to express you know what what's on their mind uh, and I think uh, so how, how we navigate these sort of issues is making sure that we are always listening to uh, parents and, and individuals who are are passionate about their kids education uh, and that we're being proactive and trying to um, create spaces where people, uh, where individuals can uh, speak up. Uh, one of the things I'm excited about is beginning to have a conversation of potentially moving our, our um, school board meetings um, out into uh, into the community in different areas mm. as opposed to always being where we generally hold our school board meetings. So that, that's one way to sort of get out and make sure the parents have uh, 
additional opportunities to, to engage with us. Sure. And, and also we're having discussions around, um, can we go out and, and create spaces at, during parent-teacher conferences where they can get to know who we are mm-hmm. and we can create opportunities for them to sort of share what's on their mind, you know, what uh, what are what needs uh, our attention and, uh, and what do you love about 501? And so I, I think school boards that are able to navigate this issue are ones that create um, opportunities to, to engage openly and actively with parents. Sure. So, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, I wonder sometimes when you see that that frustration that happens from from parents, you know, I wonder sometimes if that's because sometimes they don't feel heard or acknowledged or that sort of thing. And so maybe creating those kinds of, of opportunities where they know that they can be heard, you know, goes a long way in those instances. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think it's, it's always... Um, it's always good when um, parents feel a sense of of, of not being, um, and, you know, just that they're they are he- uh, heard and that they are, there are opportunities for them to voice what's important for them, and uh, and uh, we strive and, and I know it's always foremost on my mind to make sure what where can we do better to make sure that uh, that we're listening to uh, to everyone who has a has a, a particular perspective that we need to be hearing, uh, whether we, we agree with it or not. Sure, sure. Well, you know, of course, we also had a, a bill this year that concerned, uh, you know, transgender athletes and, and their participation um, in sports at the, at the high school level. Uh, you know, as, as we as this legislation gets gets talked about, uh, and, you know, of course, this measure was vetoed by the governor and that veto was sustained by um, the legislature. But you know, just in the the discourse and discussion about this topic, you know, what is there is there any danger here? What kind of message do you think this legislation sends to, to current students or families? Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I do worry about about this particular uh, bill, and, and as all bills related to education, uh, our foremost uh, what I love about school boards is that uh, so often we can focus on local uh, issues, and we can um, and and remain out of sort of the political politics of it sure. right and, and so foremost uh, for us in our mind is making sure that we have an environment that's conducive to learning so making sure that everyone you know every single person who shows up um, in our uh, classrooms feels safe and, and I think everybody has a right to, to feel safe and so um, with this particular issue uh, I, I think um, it, it is worrying and but we're going to focus um at our local level, on making sure that we're paying attention to to the needs of our students, uh, that we're we're doing everything we can to make sure that the environment that individuals um, find themselves in is conducive to learning and to growing. And sure, well, and, and you know, you bring up an interesting point too about this idea, kind of of, of local control, and, and that's been kind of a, an issue throughout this pandemic too, as the legislature navigates kind of how they want to respond to these things. You know, it seems like at times that that balance has kind of tip where, you know, we, we seem to, as a, as a state, uh, kind of philosophically, we've liked this idea of local control, local units of government, but then we've seen that kind of shift um, over this last year, some instances where the legislature has has taken more power um, into their hands of different issues. You know, do you think that balance has has gotten out of whack at all, or, or, or you know, what do you think is the, the current status of that? You know, I, I think all of our institutions, from, from the local level to the state and the national, that we all have... Um, our sphere of influence, and and I think uh, our legislature has a lot of opportunities to be able to focus on the things that uh, that voters want them to focus on. And so, you know, I, when the legislature comes together, I'm always hopeful that they're looking, thinking about our economy, uh, they're thinking about addressing 
um, our you know, and growth for for our state and growth for our, our uh, cities across uh, our our state. Uh, I'm hopeful that they they think about um, Medicaid expansion and making sure that families who find themselves in a tough situation um, in the sickness that that that's addressed because we know that's a, a big need and and then also obviously. Um, Funding and support for um, for schools. Um, so there, there's a lot of opportunity for our state legislator to do, and, and I think what worries me most is that every time that there are issues um, that that divert their attention from some of the really important things that a legislator could do, um, you know, we we miss out and we lose out on, on other opportunities. And so I I hope that we can. Um, that legislators can focus on the things that they that they have an opportunity to, to impact and uh, for issues related to, to schools most things that um, we can remember that uh, we for many many decades our local school boards have have you know have done as best as they could to, to address uh, local education issues Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, you mentioned school funding here just a moment ago, and that, of course, continues to be a, a topic of conversation and at times a contentious issue uh, at the legislative level. And this year, there were discussions you know, over everything from special education funding was just a, another topic that uh, the legislature just considered. And, you know, we talked about this ability that students will have now to be able to transfer uh, within the state to any school district in the state and what ramifications that might have on funding. And there's there's lots of talks about, you know, how much funding schools do or don't get and what good or what's not you know what do you think is important for folks to understand about the reality of, of school funding and and what that looks like and how it works in the state yeah you know at least as it refers to um as we talk about um special ed and debt funding you know there, there are state statutes that say that the that the state should add a 92 percent um fund you know special education um and i think uh, there isn't a mechanism in place to make sure that legislators follow through with that and so mm-hmm. what, what happens uh, often is that uh, school districts are having to be able to uh, make up that difference that that isn't uh, funded um, through either district or, or federal funds and, and what what that means is that because we're having to make up that difference um, that there are other areas of, of school funding that that um, that are put in in you know in tough situations and so I, I think individuals, uh, voters uh, should know that uh, underfunding uh, special ed means that other parts of of the school district um, suffer, and um, and especially in this year, um, the Kansas economy. We've seen the reports of of how uh, the revenues that have been raised by the state and, and the surplus. It's that's not all the time that we have this sort of situation. And when you think about how should we best use this funding at a sort of a state level? Uh, I think special education is an area which I, I, I think many people uh, would agree that, um, that they are some of our most vulnerable population uh, in, in our state. And so we're hopeful that that, uh, that gets resolved in, in a way that uh, makes sure that, um, that our special ed students um, have the resources necessary to have a, a great education. Sure. Well, you know, you bring up the point, too, that, you know, of course, when it comes to, to how we fund schools and school districts and, and that sort of thing, you know, everything's all interconnected. And so special ed funding is, is one piece, of course, of the larger budget that school districts have. And, and so oftentimes we focus on an individual chunks or pieces, it seems like, of school budgets or school finance that we forget that it, it is all connected. And so, you know, what happens to one area impacts another. Yeah, exactly. School uh, funding is so complicated and comes from uh, comes in um, 
at so many different levels at the federal, state, and, and then obviously the, the local. Um, and I think it's something which I think most average voters or even just residents of, of any particular community um, knows so little about how that functions. And it's easy to um, to ha- be have a misrepresentation of, of how it actually works. And so I think that's one of my things I, I'm hopeful for is that I, we can do better um, locally here to inform individuals and uh, parents um, and, and voters, you know, how special education works. And, and my hope is that when people are more informed about how funding works for, for education and we see, um, and not just that the funding, but also um, the link from funding to, and, and the link it has with um, sort of economic vitality, right? Sure. Having well-funded schools means that our economy is gonna be more robust in the future, that we're gonna be graduating individuals who are ready to jump into the workforce or to go to a technical or, or, or a university. Um, and, and that puts us, um, you know, in, in a very competitive place. Um, and so it's a work in progress. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, speaking of so that, that work uh, ahead, you know, as you look ahead to uh, this next school year um, and even beyond, you know, what do you think are, are going to be some of the board's biggest challenges um, moving ahead in the next year? Yeah, sort of going back to that sort of the macro level, um, I think that the biggest thing that we are probably uh, is foremost on our mind is, is the impact of COVID over the last two years on our students. Mm-hmm. And not only the impact, but also what are we gonna have to do in order to best prepare our students, um, I, I think. And so um, so we're gonna be eager to see uh, what the testing, um, state testing shows for our students, and then begin to come up with a plan to try to address um, what our students most need. Part of it will be academic, but I think part of it will also be a social emotional uh, sure. learning and the the part uh, and, and all that goes along with that so i think um that'll be our biggest challenge and we're not alone i think sure. every district will be will be looking uh forward to seeing what uh what the data shows and in adjusting and pivoting to make sure that our students are successful yeah absolutely you know, it's fascinating that to, to think about you know for instance uh, for a kid that started school in 2020 if you start kindergarten in 2020 you know those kids have have not really yet known what an actual regular just plain old school year looks like yeah yeah and so uh, so we have to think about you know how do we adjust how do we pivot yeah. in this uh, situation and also what sort of mechanisms do we have to have in place in order to follow these students uh, through their uh, school years sure uh, in order to make sure that um that they're um, they're where they should uh, should be, um, depending on, on their age and the grade. Absolutely. Well, and you know, on the flip side of things, too, you know, what are the biggest, you think, in the next year, you know, opportunities um, or, or things that, that you're really excited about? You know, I'm really excited about um, Momentum 2027 and the mm. work that they're doing there. Um, and what really excites me is the idea that um, the idea that um, equity is foremost um, at the on the minds of of, the, of so many individuals who are excited about um, Topeka and making it a place that that's vibrant and exciting, but also that um, part of uh, one part of their plan revolves around education and schools. Mm. I, I think um, I think it's smart on the on the. Um, 
on behalf of those who are working to make Topeka a vibrant place, to know that schools are an important part of it, uh, not only to be able to attract uh, young families to Topeka, but also to prepare our students for, for a workforce uh, that may or may not look close to what uh, what it does now. Mm, so I, I think that's our biggest opportunity. Can, and, um, and to engage local community members to engage our local employers and and I know we've we've begun to do that uh, in, in a in a real way and I'm looking forward to see what other opportunities um, exist for us. Absolutely, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that there is some some exciting work that that lies ahead. And and you know, you mentioned this this idea of, of equity, which actually takes us into this last section. Um, you know, while we had Lalo on today, one of the things we wanted to talk about uh, was this kind of idea of representation uh, in elected office um, and what that kind of means. It looks like in our community, you know, to because uh, seeing growth in in recent years, um, particularly for the number of Latinos that have been elected uh, both at the city council level um, and at the board of education level too, in a lot of those local leadership uh, positions. Um, and so it's exciting to think about, you know, what that, what that means for our community. So, you know, Lala, I'll ask you, you know, what, what do you think that says uh, about our community that we've seen this, this increase um, in, in people of color um, being elected to office? And how do, we, how do we keep that momentum going? You know, I, I think what it, me- what it says is that, um, you know, the makeup of voters is changing. Yeah. Right, that we have uh, uh, younger um, voters, or, or maybe a different, maybe a better way to say it, we have a different generation of voters showing up to the polls, sure. and a generation of voters who are more diverse and um, that uh, are looking uh, to, you know, elect individuals with uh, different perspectives, different ideas, um, and, and and hopeful that those different ideas and the different avenues of, um, uh, might lead uh, to some uh, positive change. And so that's I know that that's one thing that I'm, you know, I was grateful to have the support of, of voters uh, a few years ago, and uh, that I understand that um, the status quo, you know, that I am not satisfied with the status quo, and, and if we're going to see real progress, uh, it means that we're probably going to have to try something different, and that sure. we're have to push the envelope, um, and, and so yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes, but I, I am. I think very proud of, of what voters have um, done in the sort of new um, new perspectives and new new uh, elected officials that have been um, have won office and hopeful to, to see more of that in the future. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, how do we? You know, how, so I guess how do we do that? You know, how do we create uh, really an environment in our community that fosters those opportunities for uh, for people from all kinds of diverse backgrounds, both you know, ethnicities and sexuality and religion, all those different backgrounds? You know, how do we create that environment that allows uh, folks from those backgrounds to be elected to, lo- to local office? Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of different things that could be done locally to encourage um, more diverse uh, lo- um, elected officials. And first off is civic engagement and education. I think when local, when communities understand that um, that the initiatives and, and a vibrant economy means that we have, um, we have different types of, of elected officials elected in, I think that's important. And so there's, first and foremost, individuals need to believe that it matters who we elect to office. I think that that's first and foremost. Often, so you know we need to focus. That means that uh, um, school-aged individuals, young people, um, we have to ensure that um, they understand just how important who we elect um, is, uh, and the, the ramifications of uh, and the influence, the impact 
that um, that our local policies have, depending on who who's elected. Um, I think second, also, we also should be in, intent on making sure that we are always registering uh, voters, um, it, and whether there's an election coming up or not. And so, having active um, active voter registration efforts is really important. Now, it's complicated by the fact that there are are, are always laws that uh, right currently that uh, yeah. limit who can register somebody. So that I think if you're focused and, and you're excited about making sure that we have representation at all sorts of different levels, efforts to, to limit who can register someone is uh, really worrisome. And so, Absolutely. Uh, and so that's the second. I think the third thing that um, that we can do is to engage young individuals in volunteer opportunities to be able to um, get involved locally, civically. Uh, I know that um, long before I had considered running for office, um, I was a volunteer going door to door. Now it, it scared me, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, right. right. I mean, knocking on, on doors is not an easy thing, but uh, those, that's a foundation, uh, engaging neighborhoods, engaging parts of our community which aren't often engaged is something that I had um, I had experience in as a young person and, and that was a foundation that set me up that I needed in order to be able to, I think was important in order to consider it at some future point uh, running for office. And so I think the more that we can do in those sort of areas, educate the public about, um, about being civically engaged, registering voters, and third, creating opportunities and spaces to engage young people to volunteer locally are three important things we could do. Absolutely. Well, I think that's great. I think that's such a good reminder to folks that, you know, when it comes to this idea about thinking about for it, you know, any, any field, um, certainly when it comes to local government, when we think about diversifying that field, often it's, you know, working a, a few steps uh, behind that. And so, you know, this idea of how do we diversify those volunteers, those people who are otherwise active in a community who might one day go on to run for elected office um, is, is really where you kind of start with that effort. Well, Lalo, thanks so much for, for, hanging out with us tonight and for for sharing lots of really good insights with us again for folks out there uh listening make sure to stay tuned we're gonna take a quick break but afterwards we will finish up things like we always do with our take action moment of the night you're listening to ballots and brews here on ksf 785 live radio All right, folks, we're going to wrap things up like we always do with our take action moment of the night. So first up, we mentioned earlier the Bring Back the Boulevard effort. Um, There is actually absolutely still room to be a part of that effort and really good things they're doing for Topeka Boulevard. Um, Anyone that's interested and wants to join um, could do so simply by reaching out to one of the organizers, Chuck Engel, um, and you can email him. Um, His email address is Chuck at Engel, E-N-G-E-L law l-a-w-p-a dot com so that's chuck at e-n-g-e-l-l-a-w-p-a dot com um so they'll get you connected they even have a mailing list um they can add you to where uh add you to where you can uh, be kept up to date on their efforts um you know next as we were talking to lalo earlier we mentioned the importance of opportunities for people of color in our community and how we can make sure that we're off uh that we're opening more civic opportunities to those from diverse backgrounds in our city uh, one way you could do that is actually by nominating someone to participate in the latino leadership collaborative uh course uh, this class is a leadership development class that lasts several months and is aimed at the latino community uh, throughout the class participants will get the chance to network with other leaders they learn about their community um, 
and they grow in their leadership skills. Uh, both Lalo and I are actually alums of the program. And so I can tell you personally, it is a hugely valuable program. Um, you know, it's great, of course, to do any kind of leadership training, but uh, to do so with um, folks that you share um, some kind of common bonds with and some common identity with, um, it's kind of cool and kind of changes your conversations as, as well. And so it was a really neat experience to be a part of. Um, to nominate someone, uh, all you have to do is go to LLC ofks.org llcofks.org to nominate someone you'll find the application right there um, and just to note that the deadline has been extended um, and of course we couldn't do a whole episode without uh, mentioning Topeka search for a new city manager and the opportunity that you have to give your input on what qualities you think that person should have um, you can actually go right online to topeka.org slash city manager slash city dash manager dash position dash public input um, that's topeka.org slash city manager slash city dash manager dash position dash public input uh, where you can fill a brief survey to reflect your thoughts on what qualities uh, we should be looking for in a new city manager. Um, you'll also find on that website too, they'll show you the whole position description um, and everything they've already got written up for the position. So you can review all those documents in addition to providing your feedback on that survey. Um, and city council members are very eager uh, to receive the results of that survey. So we highly suggest um, you check that out. Um, and folks, that is our show for tonight. Uh, thanks, as always, for tuning in. There are just a few more episodes left before we take our summer break. Um, as always, we encourage you to check us out on social media to get even more information. All these links that we just mentioned, we'll put out there on our social media page so you can find us. Um, you know, you can like us on Facebook. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. On Twitter, we're just at Ballots Brews. You can follow us for the latest, greatest information there. Um, and of course, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite pl uh, podcast platforms so that you don't miss out on any new episodes. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and all the different networks that they have out there. Um, and if you like what you hear, of course, you can always leave us a review on one of those platforms. Um, so folks, until next week, please, please, please uh, stay safe, drink some good beer, and we'll see you next week here on Ballads and Brews on KSEP 785 Live Radio.
new beginning comes from some other beginning.